We've been in John 17. We started last week. We'll continue this week, continue next week at least. <clears throat> and it is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, not the typical Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, but it is the prayer of the Lord for his disciples. Last week we looked at the, the first several verses, the first half dozen, five verses actually, and it was the focus of Jesus uh, in prayer for himself, what we prayed over his time, prayed over the gift that he would give to his disciples, prayed over the work that God had given to him. And uh, that was a part of that. Today, we move a little different direction. If if the focus last week was inward in terms of Jesus' prayer for himself, this week it's outward. It's prayer for his disciples. And you are a part of that object of prayer because you as a follower of Christ are one of his disciples. So what I want you to do is hear his prayer for you that we cover here. We're going to break into verse 6, <clears throat> John chapter 17. <clears throat> we'll go down through verse 19, which is the paragraph break, I guess, in the, in the prayer. And then there'll be another piece for next week as well. No guarantee we're going to get through it all, but I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to give it a go. So Jesus continues to pray, and continues to pray. Again, we eavesdrop, eavesdrop a bit in the conversation between Jesus and his Father. Sometimes you might feel like you're intruding a bit, but, but now it, it gives you a little bit of his heart about how he feels about his disciples. <clears throat> to the Father he's praying, and he says, I have revealed you, Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory, and glory has come to me through them. <clears throat> I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, <clears throat> but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. <clears throat> my prayer 
is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they, they too may be truly sanctified. <clears throat> when you sit in John 17, you cannot speed read it. You will blast by so much stuff that you, it, it's incredible. You just need to take it line by line, almost word by word, because it's like a diamond. Every time you turn it just a little bit, a little bit, a little different aspect turns up, a little bit, a, a, a different, different light shines on it, and there's, there's something that you see. Oh, I didn't notice that before. And John 17 is very much that way. This is the outward focus, the heart of Jesus for his disciples. Not so much on himself this time, but for others who were given to him. And from that, there's three general areas in which and for which Christ prayed for his disciples. So we'll explore those for a few moments this morning. <clears throat> First, Jesus prayed for their protection while they were in the world. Verse 11, I know we read a long portion of it, but if you jump down to verse 11, Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them by the power of your name. He speaks, to these, speaks of these disciples, and as he would speak of them, he talks about some things that they need to remember. They need to remember, verse 6 talked about obeying the word of God, and verse 7 spoke about accepting his words. Those two phrases, those two words, they were yours, verse 6 says, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, I realize that <clears throat> obedience is always a choice. Uh, go clean up your room uh, can be a, uh, a command given, and the child or adult uh, that you speak to uh, has, has a choice to make. Are they going to listen to you or not? Are they, going to, are they going to obey that or not? It's always a choice. In terms of Jesus' prayer for their protection while they are in the world, the piece that was important for them is that they obey the word. Obedience is always a key. It puts us in the place of relationship to God and abiding in the vine. John 15, you, you get into connection with Jesus when you become obedient to do the word. The old hymn said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Obedience is a key, but also accepting his words. Later on, down in verse 8, it says, For I gave them, those disciples that you gave to me, I gave them the words that God gave to him, completed his work, finished the task, and they accepted them. 
sometimes people have a hard time believing the Bible. They have a hard time believing that what it says is true. They try to build their life around answers from a number of other places. This philosophy, this theory, this practical working, and come up with an idea of how I can put my life together. But there is, there is power in the words of Jesus. There is power in that word for life. We are called to be people as disciples who obey and accept those words. And I guess all I would say is, how are you doing? Uh, sometimes we can talk about a person's IQ. They tell me, I don't know what IQ normal is, if it's 100, 120, or whatever. You know, you may be sitting here with an IQ, IQ of 180. You may be a really smart person. It's entirely possible. But I'm not so much concerned about IQ as I am OQ. Your obedience quotient, not so much your intelligence quotient, because sometimes we can get educated beyond our obedience. Okay? And one of the things that we are always called to do is be people who obey that word that God gives to us, Christ gives to us, <clears throat> and accept it, accept it as the truth of it. Also, in terms of his prayer for their protection while they are in the world, they need to remember the power of his name. The name. The name. Now, you all have a name. You know, Don and Judy and Susan. and I can go through the, the group here and give you the first name anyways. Uh, you know, anyways, given, given to you. Okay? But that doesn't mean that I know you. I, I recognize a name, and I know the person, at least to some degree. Um, and uh, I, think, I think that we all understand that knowing somebody is more uh, a function of how we go deeper into relationship than just, oh, I know so-and-so. Remember the power of his name. And it's not just the name of Jesus. There's, there's no magic in just that name, Yeshua, based on Old Testament character or name Joshua, God saves, God is our salvation. And, but but when, when the angels came and said, you'll call his name Jesus, why? Because he will save his people from their sin. He lived up to his name. But it's more than just... More than just uh, a tag that's put on you. In the, in the Old Testament, when they would come to the name of God, they had such a reverence for that name that when they would see it written, they would do everything they could to revere that name and go around it. So when the Old Testament word for God was Jehovah, Instead of saying you're reading along and you come to the name Jehovah, instead of reading Jehovah, they would they would come up with an alternate name to revere the sacredness of Jehovah, Jehovah God. And they would they would use the word Adonai. So you're reading along, and if the word Jehovah was printed and someone was reading, they would they would say instead of that, Adonai, because the vowel points of the words of the con consonants in Jehovah, the vowel points put in later, and it's just kind of a circumlocution, way to get around it, so they could revere the name of God. There was something sacred about the name of Jesus. We sang it in the music today. You know, I speak 
Jesus. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Um, but it, it, it's more than just a handle that's on the person, more than just Chuck, more than just Bart. More than, there's something special about this name. And whenever in the Old Testament they talked about that name, they were more focused upon the character and the nature of that name than they were the actual handle that was given. First Peter 1.5, I put in a note, I believe, it says, Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. They are shielded by the power of God until that coming of salvation. Remember the power of his name. Power. As much as we can talk about the beautiful name of Jesus, there is power in that name. Power, I speak Jesus for healing. I speak Jesus over family members for freedom. I speak Jesus over family members for victory over challenges that they face. And when Jesus prayed for their protection while they were in the world, they have to remember, we have to remember as well, the power of his name. It's all linked into the character of God. And then also prayer for the protection involved them in remembering his purpose. What was the purpose? What was the purpose of God in terms of bringing this ragtag gang of people together that, that from a natural perspective would probably not be the best of buds along the way. You've got, you've got some brothers there. And, and I know that brothers can sometimes get along, but sometimes they can be just at each other in terms of you know, that kind of thing. So maybe there wasn't that kind of stuff. And then you've got, you've got fishermen with tax collectors. And there wasn't a lot of love lost between some of the people that were part of that group. You've got, you've got a guy in there that's a zealot politically active, religiously active, and trying to get get from underneath the boot of Rome. And, and so he's got his agenda, his opinion on how things... And you put this bank, gang of people together, and, and it comes down in verse 11, his prayer for, for the people. He says, I will remain in the world for the disciples. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be divided. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. So that they may be one, even as we are one. This is a wonderful picture in terms of the triunity of God, if you will. Uh, we often talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the triune God, the Trinity. And yet they are three, and yet they are one. Uh, and I don't understand how that all works together, but I know that that's a biblical concept. And the prayer is that they may be one, and the disciples come under that blanket prayer of Jesus so that they may be one, so that, so that uh, Simon the Zealot can get along with the tax collector, so that uh, Matthew, so that, so that the brothers can get along with other fishermen that, that maybe fish differently than they do. 
or smell differently than, or, or whatever it may be, the things that can divide. The prayer for protection for them is all anchored into the purpose that God has for them, that they may be one, even as we are one. When you think of the church today, I guess we have to confess that sometimes we haven't fulfilled this part of the prayer of Jesus. Because we're good at at uh, parochializing things. We're good at at uh, polarizing things. We're good at at uh, at disagreeing with somebody because they don't do this or that or the other thing. Arguments among the Baptists. I'll pick on the Baptists for just a moment because I went to a Baptist seminary. It gives me a right to do it. Uh, but so you you can argue because some some baptize. Face forward, some baptize backward, some baptize three times in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then you get them stuck next to a Presbyterian who says, we're just going to sprinkle them. Or the priest who says, we're just going to. And we can, we can let differences like that divide us. Now, I understand that it's, there's a value in terms of being biblical about that, and perhaps you know, that's, a, that's another issue. But the point is, sometimes we just there are so many differences that we have that we don't like one another, and we stop liking. You may not like me because I do something, because I, I support a particular organization. And we can run into a whole lot of situations where people take offense over the fact that you use that thing or you support that thing because you you did you know you know I may ha- I may have preferences I may have convictions about what I think is important in terms of life and so I, I may choose to to be pro life but sometimes even in that pro life thing I will alienate Myself from people who are that, that would, would just come through, or still in the midst of this mess in terms of the political world. You know, do you have a hard time praying for somebody who may be of the opposing party? Do you ever have a hard time wondering how in the world they could even be Christian? And and so you're, but but sometimes there are a lot of things that we allow in our life to drive us apart instead of pulling us together. I'm not in favor of compromising conviction, clear direction from God's word, but sometimes I think we are quick to die on our own hills, and sometimes we need to understand that that may not be a hill worth dying on. Jesus died on a hill, but he died for a right purpose and reason. Jesus' prayer here for his disciples is while they were in the world. Now, we are parked in that thing. We are parked in this, this thing we call the world. It's the mindset. It's the outlook. It's, it's the value structure of a thing that is totally oriented away from God, and yet we're put there. We're put there, and the scriptures tell us that we are to be salt and light in that world. We we are uh, 
are the light of the world. We are city on a hill, or whatever, hillside, or whatever. So, but, but God has put us in the midst of this place, and, and, and we may not like that. We used to have an old song that, that, that kind of, I think, I think it kind of fostered a kind of escapism. And the world, and the song went this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Now, but that's where we are. We are in the world, but we'll find out in a moment that we are to be of the world. There's a difference in that. But God has put us here. And he has put us here for a purpose. Purpose, at least for the disciples, is so they can at least be they can be one, so his name can be glorified, so so you can obey and accept his word and, and just understand and experience the power of his name and accomplish purpose. But he puts you here to protect you. We deal with the reality of this COVID business and 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 uh, uh, the more we think we got it figured out, the slipperier, slipperier the critter becomes. And all of a sudden, it's like playing with a snake. You think you got it figured out, and then suddenly you realize you just got bit again. It's, there's no fun in that. There's no, per, no, no, no real benefit from that side. But here, the, the prayer for Jesus is that they would protect them. It doesn't mean immunity. It means that he will come alongside and he will enable us to be able to move through this world because we are people who live for another world. We seek not this world, but a kingdom to come. We put that in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And there's where we move together in terms of his prayer for protection. Then Jesus prays for protection from the evil one. Verse 15 Jump down a few verses. Uh, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one or protect them from evil. The Lord's Prayer of Matthew or Luke says, deliver us from evil or the evil one. That's part of the prayer there. My prayer is not that you take them out, but that you protect them from the evil one. Verse 15. Why? So that they may know, first of all, safety. Back up to verse 12. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture will be fulfilled, referencing Judas, obviously. Safety. Jesus has the power in his name to keep us in a safe place. Um, again, the imagery of hymnology. Keep me safe till the storm passes by is the language of an old hymn. And in the midst of that refuge that we have in Christ, there is a place of safety. It doesn't mean that you'll never fall out of the nest. It doesn't mean that some things may come at you that you don't really like that cause you to go into a tailspin at times. But it does mean that underneath us are everlasting arms. He holds us 
in the hollow of his hand. Sometimes, one person put it this way, the Christian life is not a ball field, it's a battlefield. And there is an important place so that we discover the protection of Jesus, but understand that this is not just a picnic we're in, not just a nice, all, you know, nice and easy, but there's a battle. There's a battle that's going on. There's a challenge. It's not an easy peace, but a triumphant warfare that Jesus speaks of in terms of his protection from the evil one. I believe, I believe that the power of Christ is greater than the power of the evil one. I think that's a biblical concept. I, I could give you a bunch of chapter and verse, but the power of the evil one is limited. Satan, the devil, whatever term you want to use, is does not have the qualities of God. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. Those power, those those qualities of the scripture are attributed to God. Satan is much more limited than that. And, and yet, even at that point, the work of the evil one goes on in our world, and we deal with it in a, in a multitude of ugly ways that it comes up. But the power of God is greater than the power of Satan. And, and I don't know how you get at that when you feel like there is an attack of the enemy toward you. The scriptures talk about equipment for the warfare that we face, about shields and swords <coughs> and and things that we put around ourselves to protect us and equip us for battle. And, 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 and the shield is enable, enables us to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And, and we need to take advantage of every resource God has given us in terms of equipment to be able to stand against the enemy. The enemy of our soul. And so there is a place of safety in Christ. When we are in him, while we are in the world, there is that place of safety. There is also a, a place of joy as well. And that when we started out the service, we talked about the, this joy deficit sometimes we may be feeling. Verse 13 puts it this way. <coughs> I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. When I was younger and growing up and became familiar with some of the things in the Christian world, I came across choruses that we would sing. One chorus went but this way. <clears throat> if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. And you repeat that. Um, and uh, the, the, the words will go on. The chorus, no, it's, that's not all the chorus. But the heart of it is there. Let Jesus come into your heart. There are people who are joyless even at Christmas, because they're not satisfied. Nothing that the world has to offer them will really satisfy them. If they want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, they need to let Jesus come into their heart. 
I realize that's preaching to the choir here, but I would simply remind you that one of the purposes of Jesus was not only that it would make us one, <coughs> but that they might have the full measure of my joy within them. I suspect Christmas is going to be tough for a lot of us. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and it may be tough because uh, you're going to be very limited in what you're going to be doing. The governor uh, has, has added some things, and you may not like it, <coughs> but it may be the better part of wisdom to be cautious, be careful. But it's not going to add to your joy. But it doesn't need to steal your joy. Because your joy is not dependent upon a decree by a governor. Your joy is dependent upon your relationship to Jesus. Simply put. And his prayer for protection from the evil one includes this, uh, verse 13, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. One final piece is that Jesus prayed not only for protection while they're in the world and protection from the evil one, he prayed for their purity, their purity. Verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. <clears throat> it's all about relationship in terms of this walk with God in his prayer for you he says I set them apart sanctify them by your word by the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world I have sent them into the world for them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified whenever we talk about purity we have a we have a nice long word that we use for that we talk about sanctification, being set apart to God, a life of holiness. We don't hear much about that these days. We have to be careful that we don't lose that doctrine. See the, see the stained glass up there? Savior, sanctifier, healer, coming king. It's the whole business of being set apart to God. <coughs> it involves two directions. It involves separation from, and it also involves a separation to. Both pieces are part of that purity. Verse uh, 2 Corinthians 6 says, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, where you are separated from. Now, now we can run into excess uh, with, with, with the gauge or the barometer of what makes a person pure. And if they... <clears throat> don't drink or don't chew or don't date women that do, and they're okay. But if you cross over and get dabbling into something, then, then, then you become suspect, and those are the kinds of things that create division within a congregation and move away from unity to more of a conflicted kind of situation. But there is the wisdom of understanding that the activities that you choose to be involved with 
the things that you do, the things that you see or get involved in, can lead you away from Christ and not toward him. And so there needs to be guards that need to be set up, barriers that need to be set up that involves separation from stuff that's going to take you down the wrong road. It also involves a separation unto. Philippians 2 puts it this way, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. You may become blameless and pure children of God when you get separated to God. When, there, when you live in the world as we are called to do, not isolated, not, not communal segregation, but, but a presence, a ministry of presence in the world about us. When you live there, it doesn't take very long before you start to get the effect of that world about you. The things that, that you see, the things that you hear, the things you smell, the things you touch, all that stuff. And you need to constantly be coming to the Father and say, Father, I need you to clean me up. We have a Bishan. <clears throat> and the Bishan at times just stinks. And so we have to give it a bath. We have to brush its teeth. I never had to brush a dog's teeth. But this one, I got to brush its teeth. And you had to squirt stuff in its mouth to counteract the stench that comes from its mouth. So, and if you don't do that, then the dog will slay you with the breath of its mouth. You've got to deal with it. You've got to take some preventive measures to try to address that particular issue. And so every once in a while, we need to clean the dog up. We need, we need to give her a good bath. We need to just do all, all those kinds of things, just in terms of good, proper care. Because just daily living and normal body odors become a part of that dog. So we've got to address that. I guess all I'm reminding you about is that Jesus longs for you to be holy, longs for you to be pure. I enjoyed uh, this week, uh, I came across a group called the Acapella Singers, Praise and Harmony thing, and uh, they did a rendition of a song called, called Only a Holy God, and I sat with that song this week. Bum, 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 bum. Only a holy God. Come and behold him. But mm. just being in the presence of God is moving toward holiness and purity. This, this John 17 prayer is part of Jesus for his disciples. And he talks about his ability to keep them or protect them by the power of his name, by the authority that he has. And his prayer for them is that they may be one. They might be in the world, but not of the world. They might be pure, that he would sanctify them by the truth. And that truth is his word. Next week... <clears throat> We're going to take a look at his disciples to be uh, probably a better look down the road at us because he had us 
in mind. As much as this content is focused on those people that God gave to Jesus, the message next week is going to focus upon those that he will give down the road, and that's you and me. So we got to come back one more time and see the onward focus of Jesus, inward, outward, onward. <clears throat> so I invite you to join next Sunday, and we'll continue on in this journey in John 17. I want you to pause with me for prayer. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, thank you that we were on your mind when you prayed. In, in this upper room setting, just before a whole lot of things unraveled, and the picture there is that you are in complete an absolute control. You're not worried. You're not hurried. You're not bothered. You're not distracted. You are focused. Focused on your heart before your father. Focused on your disciples, your followers, and your heart for them to protect them in the midst of the world to which you call them, to make them one, to lead them to unity. May they be one, even as we are one, you pray. Sanctify them, set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. May you whisper to our hearts or speak loudly to our hearts today about your heart for us to keep us as your followers and to draw us to yourself so that we will not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold, but rather that we will be transformed by the power of the name of Jesus as we walk day by day in this world. May your grace and your abundant mercy and your peace, we speak peace in the name of Jesus to these people <clears throat> as they have entered and now as they exit to serve you. May there be a new arena opened up to some, maybe all of us, in this week ahead where we can let the glory of Jesus and the power of his name be displayed, not of us, but of you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen and amen.